1: You're
2: listening to the AME Radio Show.
0: Yay!
2: Welcome to the AME Radio Show, the show that is the voice of artists and entertainers everywhere. I'm your host, Jason Dowd. we got a great show for you guys today. I'm really excited because we have a couple of great guests coming on, and there are some new experiences here at the AME Experience that I think you guys can be involved with if you really want to. You can be a part of this entire uh, vision and mission that we have to inspire people and show off everybody's talents. And we'll be talking about that here and more in just a few minutes. But before we get into anything, go check out our websites, www.theamemagazine.com. That is everything The AME Experience, which is our television, magazine, and radio show. So there's lots of stuff up there. Go be inspired. We don't charge any subscription fees at all. All you have to do is go up there whenever you get a chance. And while you're there, you'll be able to see all of our links to our social media networks. And uh, we want you to be involved in a conversation there. We want you to like us and follow us. We want to grow that 10 times over this year. While you're there, you'll also be able to sign up for our newsletter and download our free apps for the Apple and Android platform. So it's a really cool way to keep in touch with the AME experience anytime you, that you want, right from your phone or tablet. And of course, we have all of our archives up there and everything that we have coming up. So again, go check that out. You won't regret it, I guarantee. All right, so let me kind of introduce you to our guest that we have on today. Our first guest is Jan Harp. He is a script evaluator, and he has evaluated over 10,000 scripts. Do you believe that? 10,000 scripts. Now, his word could literally get a script thrown away, go back to to the drawing board, or produced which is pretty intense. But now he is on the uh, development team for Seraph Films, which we have had one of the main directors, producers, and owners of that on not too long ago. So we're really excited to talk to him and about how he develops these movies with uh, Seraph and also what it's like to be an evaluator for scripts. Then we have Will Finley coming on. Now, Will Finley is a musician that blends rock and country together. He is a... um, he is a no-regret artist, and I love how he said that in, in his uh, stuff that he, that he sent to us. And he has just released a brand new album called Demolished. That's a play on words. It's Demo-Lished. So um, if you look it up, it is D-E-M-O-L-I-S-H-E-D. And these are some of his top demos that he has produced uh, and sung throughout the years on his live shows that seem to get the most responses. So he put them together on, a, on an album and it's there for you to go check out. So we're going to be talking to him about his, his love of music, his his uh, style of music, and so much more. You're not going to want to miss it. Okay, so before we get into any of our guests today, the AME Experience has some brand new things coming up. We are going to be expanding the AME to include sports. So you'll hear sports on the radio, you'll hear sports on television, and on the magazine. So what we're looking for is writers and people that want to come on to the radio station at the radio show and talk to us about sports maybe be an insider give like an overview um we're not sure yet if it's going to be something that's going to be on every week or if it's going to be something every other week whatever it may be we're going to be bringing that on here in just a little bit so if you are a sports lover and you want to get on the radio or you can just write it doesn't matter you can do both Uh, We also have the same opportunity for fashionistas. We want a fashionista to come on here, talk about hair, makeup, and fashion trends that are going on. And if you are part of that, you can write or be on the radio or both. And the other one that we have uh, that's coming up we want to really kind of divulge ourselves into this year is Hollywood Insiders and Gossip. So if you love the Hollywood insider stuff and you know a lot of gossip, let's get you on here. Uh, This one's going to be a written and a... Um, a verbal one here on the radio as well. So all three of those have the, the option to be on the magazine or the radio show. And uh, if you want to apply to that, just go to our website, contact us through our email, or contact us directly by going to theameexperience at gmail.com. Tell us what you can do, uh, send us some samples of what you've done, and we'll sit down, and maybe there'll be an opportunity for you here on the AME radio show and magazine in the near future. So, that's something we're actively looking for right now. Okay, guys, so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have Jan on the line, and we're going to be talking to him about his amazing career so far and what it's like to be a development team for a movie studio. We'll be right back after this. I'm Gladdy, the dachshund, the face of Gladdy's goodies. Are you worried about your pet's health? My parents were too especially since I developed pancreatitis.
0: They couldn't find any treats I could eat, so they made some. Our natural treats are healthy for all dogs, with and without health issues. We have lots of delicious flavors
2: like chicken, turkey, salmon, sweet potato, beef, and more. With our
0: homemade treats, you won't worry about the contents because they have no chemicals, fillers, or bad ingredients. Go to GladysGoodies.com now to get your fur friend a bag. Pick them up some swag while you're there. You'll be glad you did. Remember, we have the treats and swag to make their tails wag. Again, that's gladdysgoodies.com Again, that's gladdiesgoodies.com! Hey, y'all. You're listening to Tequila Cowgirl off my new
1: album, tequila cowgirl my name's Charis Lee. i'm looking forward to having you here the new album we're gonna go ahead and release it january 2018 there are seven tracks on it and it's a window looking into uh Charis Lee. so i hope y'all enjoy it thank you for being a part of this with me i couldn't do it without you tequila cowgirl Hi, I'm Serena Vincent, and you're listening to the A&E Radio Show.
2: Welcome back to the show everybody. We have in line with us our special guest. His name is John Harp. He is a senior reader at ScreenCraft which is a boutique script uh, consultancy company. He's also evaluated over 10,000 scripts if you can believe that. He's the, the head of development team at AWOL Studios and Serif Films and we're excited to have him here to give us his expertise and what he loves the most about the industry and his talent. So welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
0: Good.
3: Thank you very much. How
2: are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I'm glad you're on here with us. Uh, I love to be able to talk to, to people in the different parts of the industries, of the artistic industries, and see what makes them, uh, see what makes it so exciting and, and, uh, you know, bring a different light to the industry that maybe people don't know about. And that's one of them is is obviously screenwriting because we see what's on the screen, but we don't necessarily see what goes behind it and and the work that goes into it. So uh, I guess kind of tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into wanting to be a screenwriter and, um, and a uh, evaluator for scripts? Yeah,
3: actually, I I should, I guess I should point out that um, I am no longer working with screencraft at a my responsibilities to stir up and AWOL have kind of eclipsed my ability to uh mm. be doing that all the time and I can't I can't handle another ten thousand scripts. <laughs> um, so uh I've moved on from that we're strictly focused in, in development of our projects at this point. Um, but in terms of in terms of reading scripts, um, well I guess it came from writing scripts. I mean most people who uh write should read um, when it comes to screenplays and so in college I started out in physics thinking, you know, that's cool. My dad did. I'll just follow him. So that got artistically unfulfilled. I didn't even know I cared about artistic fulfillment, to be honest with you. (laughs) Um, And then sophomore year old around, I'm super bored and stressed. And so I said, you know, I'll add in a theater major because why not? And so I added that on. And then about a year into that, my best friend, um, who's currently my writing partner still, um, Rob Stiff uh, was like, dude, we should do something together. And I'm like, okay, what? And he's like, let's write. I don't know if he came up with the idea or I came up with the idea. Um, we'll write TV shows. And so just on top of both you know, physics and theater, I decided to start writing scripts as well. And we wrote some probably horrible, horrible, horrible scripts. <laughs> um, and um, did that for a while. Came out to L.A. to pursue either um, acting or writing started losing my hair more aggressively and realized (laughs) you folks on the writing. Um, And so, just kind of found a development internship, took that, got a job as a reader and the rest is just kind of history as it it goes.
2: Now, what does a script reader do?
3: A script reader is someone who is paid anywhere from way below minimum wage to barely minimum wage um, to Analyze a screenplay that is either sent in for a contest, or for notes, or you know, because you're someone's assistant or you're someone's intern, like you know, for a manager or an agent or a you know, development exec or some other exec at like a network studio or a, a production company. So it is a person who is paid shockingly little to evaluate a screenplay that may or ha- may or may not have any training at all. Well. Wow.
2: Now, so basically, you're, you're kind of like the tester to see if this is, if this is plausible or pliable to, uh, actually make it in the film industry. Is that kind of what it does to, to get them on the right track? Or like, do you get to lend some, some expertise to it? Or how, it depends on where you're
3: at. If you are at a manager or an agent's place, you're probably looking at a, if it's, if it's just a script out of the blue, it's probably some cold, uh, query letter. The odds of it getting even, even if you give it a glowing recommendation, the odds of having your boss read it are fun to none. Um, if you're at a script consultancy like I was, either you're giving notes on that project, like for, so in other words, the writer will pay, you know, 150 bucks or 300 bucks or 100 bucks or whatever to have you give them notes on it. And there's no exec, so it doesn't really necessarily matter whether you love it to death or you think it's garbage. You know, the person who paid for your notes gets your notes, and that's the way it goes. Um, if it's a contest thing, which I get a lot of, that's where the reader will evaluate a script and will say, yes, this should move on in the contest, or no, this should not move on in the contest. A script reader in, I mean, less than one one-thousandth of circumstances is actually going to be able to help your script move forward in any real capacity. Mm. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not painting a terribly rosy picture, but I have done this long enough <laughs> and I've seen so many of my friends do this that it's important to have a, you know, an accurate understanding of what the animal is like. It, it's a, it is a brutal machine that likes to take people who think they can write screenplays and convince them that they can, at as much money as you can out of them, and then have them not succeed.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, it sounds like a typical, uh typical industry uh, with the artistic industry because I've seen that in in, in uh, music and I've seen that in everywhere. So it it is it it does exist.
3: Yeah, people people like to prey on the hopes and dreams of artists. It's uh, been a it's been a um, cultural tradition for probably centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, Hollywood, shockingly, is not any different. Now there now there are good places, there are good firms. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the notes that that I came up with, my peers wrote, like we put our hearts into them to give them really, really high quality notes. Um, Our contests, we tried to give, you know, prices that were meaningful. Um, So there were, there are good places out there that care, but, you know, writers should know what they're getting into. Mm
2: -hmm. That's true. Now, doing this for so long, obviously you've written some of your own stuff, did did reading these scripts help you learn what to do and what not to do?
3: <laughs> they definitely help you learn what not to do. Um, the frequency with which a script teaches you something new and gives you—I mean, uh, you know—to be completely fair, I am rather callous at this point in terms of when I read a script, the on the assimilating like a new technique and being like, "Wow, that was really useful." It's just I, I'm probably not as receptive as I ought to be. Um, but more often than not, it is just a uh, smorgasbord of bad ideas and bad decisions. Um, my the, my previous supervisor, who has probably clocked as many or more than I am, I think together we're about twenty five thousand total. Um, he he has has gone on record as saying that he has only encountered about ten scripts that are actually ones that have impressed him or made him jealous as a writer. And I think I'm about the same. I think about ten out of more than ten thousand have been like wow that's okay that is wow this is masterful like whatever this person's doing i need to take notes because this is awesome the thing is it it really is important to read it's important to read good projects like especially stuff that gets produced by by working screenwriters but there's another whole set of circumstances where what you're reading isn't what you need to be writing it's it's a weird giant animal that takes hours to explain so the short answer is you can learn stuff, but it depends on what you read.
2: I get you. Now, the the idea of of uh, screenwriting, there's some good things that you could that, that you that makes the, the movie good, and there's some things that don't. What are some of the things that makes a good script?
3: Um, I was fortunate enough, oh I'll answer this in a kind of obtuse way. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a chance to kind of do I don't even know what this would be kind of like an intensive sit down, you know, workshop with uh, Kurt Wimmer. Kurt Wimmer, uh, you know, wrote Punk Break, um, uh, Equilibrium, a bunch of movies that, uh, you know, some some very successful, some not so successful. Um, but after having kind of sat down and worked with him and he's made, you know, umpteen billions of dollars on his film, you know, in total. Um, for all manner of studios and such. Um, one of the things that he really pointed out, and I think it was, it was truly brilliant and masterful is creating a synergy between the character's journey, the character's arc, the character's emotional river, the term use, and the kind of the plot the structure of the movie, like what event leads into the next event leads to the next event. And this may sound super obvious, super straightforward, um, but just the, the idea of combining those two paying attention to the structure of both of them and then mixing that together. Mm. For me, fundamentally that has been the single most useful tool in my toolbox um, for creating a story that I think really does have an impact It really does, you know, stick together and, and feel, you know, engaging. Um, but there's a, and there's a hundred answers to your question.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: you know, Writing good jokes matters a lot. Writing, you know, fun dialogue, writing, you know, not being too restrictive with your writing, Uh, allowing the other creatives to engage in a project that's actually heading to production to, you know, embrace it and dig into it and, you know, create something cool with it. Um, There's also a lot of ways you can screw yourself up. But, you know, I think it's a really important thing to note is that you need to be clear for any writers out there, you need to, you know, be very truthful with yourself about the immediate future of your project, whether you're writing something that is literally going into production in a few months, or you're writing something that you hope will get you a manager or an agent. Because those two things that you write should not be the same thing. Right. One is a writing sample and one is a blueprint for production.
2: Interesting. Now how did you get into AWAL's um a Wall Studios and Sarah Films. What, what, and what are your job descriptions there? What do you do for these particular companies?
0: So the
3: the, the two companies are slowly collapsing into one company, um, which is just cool and good. Um, uh, uh Wall Studios, I helped found um, with uh, a couple other uh, industry uh, veterans and some you know other folks. Um, the guy who I partner with primarily on right now is a guy named Charles Hilliard, who is a extremely successful businessman, uh, very, very, just an g- extremely good person, very capable. Um, he is kind of the financial business backbone for our endeavors, um, and he is kind of my primary collaborator on that front. Um, we partner up kind of, we're, we're AWOL serves is kind of the more, business financial uh driving force for Sarah Films, which is kind of the actual production company and um, kind of creative focused mm-hmm. company. Um, in both of these situations what I'm doing is I am uh either working with client projects where I am kind of creatively developing them and producing them, uh, or doing it for our own projects. So something where I am working with my team of writers to create a project that we are going to take into production and try and sell.
2: Oh, that's interesting. So uh, what's been some of the projects that you're working on right now that you guys are pretty excited about?
3: So our, our the big the big thing kind of on, on our docket that we're just finishing up is The Nightmare Gallery. Um, that was our first narrative feature film uh, starring Amber Benson from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, Kevin Chamberlain is a three-time Tony nominee. Uh, Matt Devine, who is a uh, frontman of a pretty popular rock stand-up in Chicago called Kill Hannah. And so that project we have, we were in production on in, um uh, see, <laughs> I don't know, it's been such a long journey. In 2017, we were in production on that. I forgot what year it was. Um, uh, that tells you how filmmaking goes, is when you start to mess up dates and mix everything around. Um, so we produced that in 2017. We've been in post production on it for a long time. Um, we uh, sold, or well, actually, um, I will, I will uh, leave that uh, information. So we're we're about to do a press release on uh, the future, kind of what what where the project has landed. Um, but we have exciting um, uh, sales and distribution news to share soon. <laughs> let me put it that way.
2: Oh, cool. So. If somebody has something that, that they want to propose to your company or something like that that you might be able to, to work with, how would they go about doing that?
3: Um, yeah, so but it depends on the scope of the project. If it is a uh, short film uh, or a web series or a commercial or something industrial like that, then they can just call us up, say, I have this idea for this. This is kind of, this is where I see the project going, this is where I see the project landing, and... Um, hopefully they have some, either they already funding in place or they know where to get it. Or if it's something that we really see, if, you know, if, uh, inroads on them, we can help on the funding side too. Um, primarily our focus has been on our, on our, on our feature that we we're finishing up. And so that's kind of where all of our, uh, assets have been, have been focused. Um, so we're not really putting much financial muscle behind other people's projects at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but if it's something small, just like a super quick, short film, we crank those out all the time. We have a lot of fun with them. We'd love to, you know, work with other people and, and do stuff on the very indie scale. So if somebody has something, uh, you know, inexpensive, then we could probably work with them on it or at least discuss them and help them figure out a, a strategy. Um, if it's a bigger project, if it's a feature, which is actually a great example we're doing right now where a client came to us and said, hey, um, I have this feature film. I want to get it produced. Um, I think it can do it for under 100000 and we're like, that's very, very, very indie in terms of budget, but let's take a look and we'll see what happens. And he's able to raise the money, and we are in production already now. So with any luck, that will be kind of our first client feature. We've done a lot of client films and, and uh, web stuff, but this will be our first client feature. So people can just contact us, and um, depending on the scale, depending on the budget, depending on where the money coming from, we can either... Help them, or help them get the money, and kind of
2: work through that. That's interesting. You know, funding is obviously one of the biggest problems that any any uh, artist runs into, whether it be music, fine arts, uh, performing arts, uh, music industry. Uh, I mean, uh, film industry or anything like that. If somebody was to ru- was to create an independent film, I mean, obviously you can go crazy with budget, but what's a general, you know, estimated average? cost for a small film let's just say you know a a 30 minute or or an hour film uh how much do you think that would cost uh, low budget wise that's an estimate
0: well that's a
3: really it's actually a really insightful question because i or at least it's it's an interesting question um because i will give you an answer that basically no one else would give you um if you go to someone in Hollywood who has done Hollywood production, even on like an indie side, which means you know, no network, no uh, studio, no giant like mini major is behind them. You know, it's not done by Lionsgate, it's not done by Fox or, or any of those. If someone does it on the indie side, most people will tell you you need like a you know somewhere between probably two and eight million to do kind of a standard indie film. Um, I tend to believe, and then there are also, you know, you know, the B films which are like, you know, done on the hyper indie side, but they look like B movies. They look like the kinds of stuff that you'd, you know, really horrible slasher films, terrible editing, but the quality looks crap, it's kind of garbage stuff like that. Um, uh, and then it's wonderful garbage, let me to be clear though. Um if, but we tend to believe our philosophy is that if you have filmmakers, you have collaborators, you have created who are passionate about a project or passionate about, passionate about telling a story that you can get away with a lot less uh, if you find the right home for it. So the way we did Nightmare Gallery, for instance, was very on the indie side. A lot of people, if I were to tell them the true budget, would not believe me, um, uh, or hopefully not believe me. Um, but the idea is that, you know, we have all of our equipment, we have a of us partner studio in Burbank California that we work with all the time um we pulled favors for locations
0: we had amazing
3: talent who are willing to work with us and give us you know very reasonable rates all these things I'm a firm believer that you can make projects in the hundred thousand level that look really good and can successfully land multiple distribution offer deals uh, or get multiple distribution offers sorry um the client project we're talking about is a great example. So this guy has less than hundred grand to make this, you know, full length feature film. Um, and I think it's going to be, just, I think, I think it's going to be a really beautiful film. I think it's going to look great. I think it's going to sound great. Um, it doesn't have crazy, you know, aliens don't invade and there's not huge, crazy special effects, but it, you know, it's a really powerful kind of dark Gothic romance. Um, and I think it'll look awesome. Um, and he's going to do it for well under 100 grand. grand. Um, if you're talking about for short films, I mean, kind of the, the mantra of Sarah Films is give us a couple hundred bucks in a weekend and we'll give you a short film. Um, you know, we are passionate about telling stories. We're passionate about creating relationships. So we, our, our whole philosophy is that it doesn't really matter how much money you have. If you're willing to shake your story around your production opportunities and constraints, you can do something for, you know, shockingly low budget Wow,
2: that's very interesting and that's you know that that's something i've never been able to get a good a good um uh, quote on, you know, nobody's been actually able to say that. They're always telling me, you know, what it's it's the the height of your budget, whatever you can, whatever you you are able to put into it, you know. But you think big, and I'm like, okay, well, that doesn't really narrow it down. But that that was a that was a great answer. I appreciate that. No,
3: it it people people say all this stuff, Like, you, you need it to be tentpole. You need to be, you know, every quadrant you need to, you know, mass appeal. You want to, you know people and seats. Like, dude, no one is going to produce. <clears throat> A script from a no-name, never made a film writer and put it into theaters worldwide and spend, you know, 50 million on, on P&A on it. It's never going to happen in a thousand million years. Like, I mean, sure, there are lightning in the bottle scenarios like paranormal activity and stuff, but the statistics of you getting that or whoever, whatever, you know, you, Joe, Bob listening to this, it's, it's so unlikely that it should functionally be zero. So, our philosophy is come up with a story that you can tell. I mean, Nightmare Gallery was a great example of this because what we did is we knew, I mean, I knew we had our, gear. we had our red camera package, we had all of our and lighting, we had our crew, we had these locations. So, I, I created this story with my writing partner that was engineered specifically for those production elements. So, I could... When I was writing it, developed something that I knew we could produce, that I knew we would, you know, we'd be kind of on home base. We'd have assets that we were familiar with, and uh, we even did short films and web series content specifically to practice those elements to ensure that we were rock solid on them for when we did on the feature. So, um, you know, if you're if you're age, if you're willing to write for what you can raise financially, anybody can get a movie done.
2: Sure. Well, John, this has been so much fun. You know, I learned a lot, and you have some great expertise, and I hope that people will be able to go ahead and uh, talk to you guys about it if they have, if they have a, a dream or a story that they want to tell. How can people find you? Do you have any social media networks you want to go out and, uh, pr- and shout out to anybody?
3: Sure. I mean, the, the easiest is Sarah Films. That's S-E-R-A-P-H, like the angel. Um, Sarah Films is kind of our, our primary funnel for all these things. Uh, we're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, uh, we're on Twitter. Um, that's one of the easiest ways. You can also just reach out to me, uh, john at seraphilms.net. That's J-H-A-N at
2: Well, thank you for coming on. This has been so much fun. Uh, I wish you all the best. I hope that you'll have a lot of cr- cool pro- uh, projects coming out here soon. So that way you can tell stories to the world, and, and I think that's important. And I, I enjoy watching the stuff that you guys put out. So, uh, thank you thanks again for coming on and being a, a fun guest for us, and we'll definitely have to get you back on with more stuff that you have coming up. Okay, it was
3: a pleasure speaking with you,
2: and uh, talk to you later. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Alright, bye bye. Alright guys, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we have more, so don't go anywhere.
0: Do you love horror? The strange and unusual fantasy creatures are urban legends. Do you want to step inside a dream or nightmare? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out internationally exhibiting artist Jason Dowd and his award-winning photographic collections by visiting www.imaginationartstudios.com. Get inside his mind and experience his inner weird. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Paulina Laguti. I'm the creator of Mail Order Monster releasing November 6th on demand. Hi there, this is Kim Coles and I am a big fan of the AME
0: Radio Show. not you pick the We'll <laughs> be
2: Welcome back to the show, everybody. We have in line with us a special guest. His name is Will Finley. He is a no-regrets rocker who just released his brand new EP called Demo- Demolished, which is actually a bunch of demos that is the, some of the most popular requests at his shows that he put on his CD uh, on his CD for you. So welcome to the show, Will. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Jason. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. I love the idea of a no-regrets rocker. Uh, <laughs> have you done a lot of stuff that should be regrettable or not? <laughs>
1: Um, uh, technically I have done some, uh, guess, regrettable plays in my life, as everybody has. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I guess the noble dress and the kind of thing is that I, I like my shows to rock out and, uh, have really loud drums and, you know, really loud guitars and things like that. Stuff that sometimes country gets a little toned down, so that's probably the no dress part of
2: the, the rock part that gets <laughs> put in there. Well, that's good. I mean, you don't want to get arrested for anything, for sure. So, I mean, that's uh, that's uh, the better way to do it. If you're going to have music, you got to well, have a laugh. I
1: guess that's for the nose rest so I'm, I'm like a Johnny Cash. I've I'm, I'm been <laughs> to jail for alcohol to at college. So I get get my my
2: street points there. <laughs> that's cool. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you get into being uh, into music to begin with?
1: Um. So. I never, I guess I've loved music my whole life. I always thought I was going to be the fifth member of the Backstreet Boys until I heard myself on the answer machine. When I was five years, or not five, I was in second grade. And uh sang a Baxter Boys song after that. <laughs> I oop, I'm never going to sing again. Then I just, uh, I went to college, I started playing guitar, and I heard one of my buddies, the preacher's kid growing up, he used to worship at church. He played a John Mayer song for me and told me how he played it for a girl, and the uh, end result of that, And uh, was pretty much then I was like, all right, I'm gonna learn how to play guitar. And then, thing that you use to try to help you get girls ends being the thing you you use. The right song to help you get over girls. So so yeah, probably about the age of 19 is really when I started getting into it pretty heavily.
2: Did you play any instruments before that, or did you just kind of did did you pick up anything, or did that kind of influence you into moving that into that direction too?
1: Well, I guess, yeah, I thought I was musical somewhat. I, I When I was, like, in second grade, I believe, I was inspired by the Titanic soundtrack and took the NFL lessons learned how to play some of those songs. And ended up in middle school, I joined the band. I played trumpet my first year there, and i always wanted to play drums. And I switched over when I was in seventh grade. I became, like, a all-state uh, snare drummer in, middle, in the middle school band in seventh or eighth grade. That was, like, a thing that was you had to go and talk with uh you had to have a parent-teacher conference and switch instruments because that was a big deal back then. So to go to percussion, like, I I ended up being, like, first chair within a week of it. But, like, so I always kind of had it in my blood. My parents would never get me a drum set, so I guess I went to high school, wanted to play sports, didn't really do music for a while. I always, you know, loved it, listen to it and interact with it at church and stuff, but I didn't play in a church band or anything. It really wasn't until I got to college, and, I started picking around on an old guitar in my dorm room, and it just it took over my life. If you would have told me when I was even 19, 20 years old, I'd be doing this now. I would, I wouldn't believe
2: you. <laughs> now, did you kind of grow up around country music? Because I know uh, you know Nashville's pretty strong for something like that.
1: Well, see, and that's that's another thing. Kind of on like the last statement. If you would have told me, you know, when I was nineteen, twenty, that I'd be a country singer, in Nashville Tennessee, I would, I would tell you. You're, you're kidding me. I didn't. I didn't actually really like country growing up. So my mom, uh, my mom always did, and she played Vince Gill a little too much one time, and I got a headache. And I guess I always associated with that. And then, and I, I kind of always was hiding my roots a little bit. Everybody would say, "Oh, you sound country," and so I was like, "No, I'm not. I'm not a redneck." I was always defending it. But then I once I got to college. Like, it, once I hit, it was, it was pretty much Brantley Gilbert. Like, I always, he had a really rock style, and I liked rock growing up. That was my genre of choice. Once he came out, that opened me up the country, and the floodgates pretty much opened from there. And it was like all the country that you heard growing up ended up being like, uh, it was, somehow I knew every word to it, even though I've been denying it. Well, that's so a- yes and no. Like, I, I'd, I'd always heard it, but I didn't really grow up on it like some did.
2: Well, that's cool because as you kind of got into it, you could kind of make it your own because I mean really there you know there's so many different genres out there of music, but it, you really got to make it your own. So even though you're typically listening to a traditional sound that you hear with that type of music, you can still rock it out or you could you could jazz it up or do whatever you want it to do with the, with a couple of different uh, styles. Have you Have you been able to do that with your music? Uh,
1: absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about country and that's what I believe is key. Up country alive and rock, uh, the best rock that I I really grew up on. Like, that kind of died in the '90s. And uh, what keeps country like, it, it's kind of crazy if you ask other genres. They like country. Most people will kind of scoff at it, it country music. But country, we take in pop, we take in rock, we take in R and B, we take all these aspects, the best and all that, combine it to make make it that. So even though this I, on this EP, I did a lot of things really rocky. Some of the stuff I'm going to do in the future will even get beat a little poppy sometimes, so, uh, yeah, being able to have the different influences, like, uh, and not just a, a pure country vibe all the time, it kinda can help progress the music, make it more modern, but country music to me is more about a state of mind, it's about relating to the common man, mm-hmm. your average old joe, like, pop music, I was always talking about, you know, dropping diamonds in the club, things like that, like, I that doesn't relate to your average listener, I think, as long as you're relating to it. People who, you know, most people in America.
2: Yeah, that's true. And you know what I love? That's what I liked about country, and I didn't quite get it only because of the fact where I grew up, it really wasn't popular. You know, I think we had one uh, radio station that came on with country between the hours of like 1 a.m. and like 9 a.m. So if you really weren't up, At that particular time in the day, or you were, you know, at work or school, like I was back then, you know, you didn't get to hear country. But what I like about country is it tells a deep story, and I think you can make it more personal than any other type of music out there. And I think that's what makes it so interesting now that I've been able to explore it more and understand it a little bit better.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing, that's what's going to happen with some of my music. It's going to be like, there's going to be some songs that are like, won't really sound country at all. They might sound completely rock. some songs, might sound poppy. Some might actually have a traditional country feel to them. They should all have a story behind them and
2: kind of some kind of message you want to get out. Mm-hmm. So, how do you how do you make yourself stand out in a crowd? Because I mean, obviously, there is so many artists out there and they do so many different things. But you got to make yourself stand out and be uh, an individual in this in this crowd. How are you doing it?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, Jason, that is a million dollar question. That's what we're all always trying to figure out. That's how people get rich in doing it. So, it's always constantly evolving. But, uh, I do think that, uh, my live show, I'm pretty energetic on stage. So if people see me live, they're definitely going to see me stand out there. I have, a uh, my, my sound is definitely going to be a little different than people do it. Like if you, if you hear me, like anybody who knows me, the second, like, even if they had never known I'd done music, the second they hear me sing and they hear me talk, I'm, well, at least I hope that's your idea when it comes up music. that they're gonna you know, that, hey, that's Will. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I hope just makes me stand out and that
2: I'm a unique individual. Now you just released your brand new EP called uh, "Demolished," which is really kind of neat because mm-hmm. I like how you, I, I like the the play on words because you have it's like they're they're cover demos that you that you've played in your live shows that you put on this. So you got the demo large and then polished the second part yeah. of it. That's great. I love that. That's very creative. Um, what made you decide to do uh, your first album like that?
1: Well, and also uh, demolished. We kind of played on the idea of it. We demolished the idea of what it means to release new music. I see a lot of artists, now that I moved to Nashville, uh, I mean, there's a ton of artists, just like you said, and a lot of them do these big, huge buildups. Like these aren't awesome, people on are major labels; they're just releasing some, you know, some stuff they didn't spend that much, this, you know, a major label spending on a the production. They go do these big build-ups and build height or big height behind not that big of a release. Sometimes the songs aren't even that good, we or being honest, <coughs> but uh, it happens every now and then. So I didn't want to; I just wanted to like put the demos out there that me and my friends did, some songs that I wrote. And that I believed in that I just wanted to put out there and I wanted people to be able to hear me. Cause for a while I didn't have anything out. So I wanted to, as I'm working on new, new stuff constantly, wanted to put some of the songs that I thought were my best over the past few years that I had demoed out, put out there and I didn't have to, mm-hmm. I had to worry about, you know, doing some big major label production behind it. Just putting out kind of what we did when we did the demo. So that's kind of where demolish came from. It was and the idea of putting out music.
2: That's cool. Uh, I, I still love the I still love the uh, the wordplay of it. It's very creative. Now, obviously, you, you know, coming out with your first album is is something that's huge, no matter what it is, and, and the the process that you that you do it with. What's next? Are you going to be looking towards maybe doing a little bit more writing yourself, or are you going to be working with writers to come up with, with uh, newer songs here in the near future?
1: Well, see, that's what that's what you hear on "Demolish" is actually all the stuff that I had previously written. Uh-huh. Before I moved to Nashville, I had done by myself. Since I've been to Nashville, I've now been here in Nashville about six months. So all that stuff you hear is before I got here. I, I feel like I've, in six months in Nashville, you can take, you know, years of progression that it would have taken me in Atlanta, to, to, to songwriting wise. So, uh, I wanted to put some of the stuff I'd already done out there, cause, uh, yeah, there's always gonna be new and better stuff coming. You're trying to one up your songwriting every song that you do. So I'm really excited to be putting out some new stuff to follow this up, and uh, not too long from now. You
2: but, know, uh, that's the that's I the fun part about being much, an artist, but, uh, though, isn't it? Is is out uh, what you just did, and <laughs> that's always hard to do, yeah. right?
1: And I already have plans, to, and I, I've already been in the studio trying to outdo what I just did. Especially with some of the co-writes I've done, I've, I've never, you know, since I've been here, a big thing that you want to find out. But one of the best pieces of advice I've got so far is be a cool hang. And just hanging out with people that you enjoy, that are cool, and they're also songwriters, that ends up turning into some of the best writes I've been involved with. So um, that's kind of what I've done. I'm trying to find a group of guys that I enjoy writing with, and I think we put some good songs out. I just got done writing a good one today, actually. I think <laughs> we'll see.
2: You know. When you write songs, you and even what I guess whatever type of art you're into, when you put out that new thing, you just want to get out there and share it with the world. But sometimes you got to hold it back a little bit. You got to you got to hold the flow because you know sometimes it may not fit. So as you're building up for your full for your full length CD and stuff like that, what are some of the things you're considering to for the song to be able to make it?
1: Ooh, so that's a lot of things, actually. And one big thing that we're going to be focused in from here on out is, uh, production. And, uh, like I said, I kind of want to do some poppier things. I think that now a lot of people are kind of hating on the, uh, the 808 uh, beats and the uh, snap tracks and country songs saying it's ruining it. But in a way, like I said, it's that stuff helps progress the genre, helps progress music in a way. So. I want to start working with some uh, producers who can produce um some really modern tracks. I want to I want my music to sound more 2025 than 2005. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. So uh that uh, production and uh getting and definitely taking our production to the next level is going to be one of the big things. Songwriting uh every time I write I want it to be more meaningful and have uh, you know better stories, and better things to say than the last song. And, and not all of them are going to be super love songs. Sometimes they're going to be dance songs or things like that or, uh, you know, rocky songs to, you know, drink beer to anytime you do that, whatever theme it is, you, you want to, you know, t- try to take it to the next level. So sure. that's definitely, uh, it, it's got to be a heck of a lot better than everything I just put out. And I'm still proud of what I put out. So it's, we got to, we got to keep working. Yes. Yeah. You know, take it to that, that next step. That's what it's all about, I think, in this industry.
2: In
0: general.
2: Now, with the songs that you have that you're working on now, and obviously the songs that you have on your on your album here, those are some of your original songs that you that you first started writing and stuff. So, have you ever looked back at it and say, "Wow, I can't believe how far I've grown"? And if you've done that already, what are some of the things you've noticed?
1: So that's uh, actually a pretty good question because uh, I do this often. I have a on my old computer, I have some of my. When I first started playing, and this is kind of how I progressed in a way, so I used to video myself from the time I started. So I had some pretty, pretty bad videos when I was, you know, 19 you know, years old, sitting in my dorm room, playing an old silver tone electric guitar, trying to play Country Boy by Alan Jackson. And one day I'll, you know, if I'm, you know, whenever I feel bold enough, I might, you know, put those out and show the world, like, look at how far I've come. But when I look at that and see so what I've done in seven years, seven, eight years, it makes me really optimistic what I can do in another seven, eight years um, with music. So uh, yeah, I try to look back often, and you're always and once you do like, once you put out something and you think you're really passionate about it, then it's just like, okay, well this isn't that good. You're always on to the next thing. It's always I don't know when you when you look back to to where you come, like, sure, demolish has come very, very far away from when I was started out
2: playing. Like in my dorm room, I'll put it that way.
1: So yeah, it's cooler. To...
2: Wow. And you know, because I I think that was probably one of my most like eye opening moments when I first started doing my uh, doing my first photography series. I look back at it when I did my second one. I'm like, wow, how it how different is that? And you know, it just really kind of it, it shocked me. And I I think that's very important for any artist to to be able to see the growth. From the first stuff to this stuff, it doesn't necessarily mean that it was that it was garbage or bad. It just shows you how you've evolved yeah. and how you see things and how you feel things along the way, and how you're, and how the influences of your listeners are also impacting that that vision that you have. Yep.
1: See, I've recorded original stuff before, like even back in college, with my old band, you know, the first band I had. We were playing, you know, a little cheap shows in Athens, Georgia. Or I went to college UGA and. Saved up like the money we saved for the or we played oh, at this bar over the summer and put it into going to get uh, recordings done, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it ended up being just like terrible quality. I hate saying that about certain you know producers, but it was in college and it's one of those things you look back on and like I hear that every now and then. You're like, wow,
2: it's uh, when you hear the difference, in that it, it, it is pretty amazing. Now, we're into 2019 already. I, I, almost like, I almost cannot believe that we are. Uh, what are some of the goals that you have, either, like, let's just say six months and then a, a full-year goal that you want to accomplish before the end of the year?
1: Before the end of the year in 2019? Um, what's the... I mean, I probably should have thought about this before the end of 2018. Um, but I believe... Uh, by the end of this year... I hope I'm um, somewhere getting close to a pub deal. That's what I would like to be, but by the end of 2019. And uh, hopefully, I want to get somewhere in the six-figure stream range on a song of mine on Spotify or Apple Music, something like that. I want to uh, uh, get my streaming numbers up. Um, those, are, those are some goals for me. Now, <clears throat> I should probably lose a little weight, too. But I'm not going to
2: be one of those New Year's resolutioners or anything. <laughs> they, they never work out. So it's uh, you know sometimes it's, that's just uh, if you if you get the time try it. But you know you got your professional goals that will take you someplace. Now how do you how do you get your streams up and stuff? What are some of the things you 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 figure you're you're going to need to do in order to do that?
1: So to get my streaming numbers up this year, I, I, you know I plan on doing more shows than I did in 2018, which
2: 2018
1: I did a lot, so it's going to be hard to do. But uh you know, get more fans engaged at the shows and getting them to go and follow me on Spotify and go and listen to some of the music there after they heard some of the songs live. That'll be one way. Trying to engage people on social media and uh, trying to get them over to my Spotify pages and Apple Music uh, pages from there. And then ultimately just trying to get on other people's playlists. That's what you want to do. Hopefully get found by some people who have a good bit of followers on Spotify uh, on their playlist, country playlist, get on there. That's a good way to get streams. So yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking to do this next year. So I want to get my music in as many hands as
2: possible. <laughs> Big goal. So, tell me a little bit about your definition of success. You know, there's so many. There's so many viewpoints of it, and and I love the the diversity of of this question. And everybody views it differently. So, what's your version of success?
1: Well, you can look at success on a daily level. You can look at it on a long-term thing. While I look ahead and what I want to do and where I want to be to ultimately consider, you know, when you're making millions and, you know, you've got number ones and all that stuff, I think that's where people start considering. But on a daily level, I'm just, I feel somewhat a success right now that I get to go and play music almost. I play four or five times a week. I get to do it for a living at this point. So makes me feel somewhat a success. Mm-hmm. Knowing that, you know, growing up I thought I you know, needed my chemistry major from U G A or something to go, you know, make something of myself in life and figure out that wasn't true, I can go and play music. So I
2: feel pretty successful just being able to do this as much as I do. So before we go, um, please tell everybody where they can find you, find your music and stuff. you got a really cool look at websites, so I, I hope you'll, you'll uh, send people there, too. Uh, but any social media platforms where they can buy your music, stuff like that?
1: So uh, if they want to buy music, it's obviously on iTunes or things like that. But today is the day of streaming, so everybody who has you know, Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, Deezer, all those types of services, they can go and get it on those, obviously. They can type in Will Finley on whatever streaming platform of their choice. And then if they go to my Instagram, which is Will Finley Music on Instagram, at Will Finley Music, uh, there's a link to Spotify and, uh, my bio on there. And then also, I always love Instagram follows, so they can, of course, stop by while, while they're there and give me a follow on Instagram. Uh, Facebook the same, Will Finley Music. Search me on there should come up, and then ultimately, he said, "My good-looking website is wilsonthemusic
2: And Will, I definitely want to be able to play one of your songs for our, for our listeners today. So, tell them what song you're going to you you want us to play, and go ahead and introduce it because we're going to be playing it right after uh, you get done introducing it.
1: Cool. Sure. Well, uh, the song that I will have them play it will be "Didn't Mean to Write a Love Song." Didn't just gave it away, gave it away the hook, and they can listen and figure out what it's about, and then. But I uh, didn't mean to write a slow song. It is uh, a song I wrote when I was still in Atlanta about a girl I met while I was playing at my favorite bar, Die Bar, down in Atlanta. And
2: uh, yes, my current single, so that's the one they'll be hearing. didn't mean to write a slow song. All right. Well, Well. thank you so much for coming on. Your song's playing right now. We wish you all the best in 2019, and hopefully you'll be able to do some amazing things that we'll get to bring you back on for in the future. Thank you very much, Jason. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And guys, here's the song, and uh, we'll be right back after this.
0: Go back home.
2: having his work at Disney. Come see the beautiful first release of the series, which includes Distressed Dancer, Spanish Serenade, The Pied Piper, and Reaching for the Czars. You can see them in person or online at www.imaginationartstudios.com. For more information, visit the website. Again, it's imaginationartstudios.com. Our Facebook is Imagination Art Studios. Twitter is at Dow Studios. And Instagram is at Jason Dow. Come and be mesmerized by the masks and the stories behind them.
0: Your time hasn't come yet, baby You've got a lot of dreams to go Your time hasn't come yet, baby
2: Hey guys, it's Jason Dowd and i got a special announcement for you. You know, it's hard to believe, but 2018 marks the 50th anniversary of Elvis Presley's Speedway. Co-star Victoria Page Myerink will be making personal appearances throughout the year sharing her memories of Elvis. Visit Meyerink.com, that's m e y e r i n k.com to find out where or to host a screening or speedway event of your own with Victoria. She's going to be bringing candid special behind the scenes memories of working with Elvis. Again, to find out how you can have your own personal screening or speedway event with Victoria just go to Meyerink.com. M E Y E R I N K dot com.
0: The little boy next door who only makes you sore is going to someday turn your head for right now. Hey, this is Jen from Days of Our Lives, and you're listening to AME Radio Show.
2: All right, guys, we've got about a minute and a half left, which means we're closing out the show. But before we go, I want to thank our guests for coming on and spending some time with me, and uh, I hope that their story not only inspired you, but also showed you some of the new things that they have coming out that will maybe entertain you, and maybe you'll be interested in it, and go check it out. I also hope that their story inspires you to go out there and try something new. Challenge yourself, because when you do, amazing things can happen. The only failure that you can ever experience in life is regret, and regret comes from not trying at all. That's it, very simple. All right, so we got about a minute left. I'm going to be closing out the show. We are here every Friday and Saturday. We have usually two guests per show, and you can find us by going to amfm247.com every Friday at ten a.m. Eastern, Time, ten p.m. Eastern Standard Time, or every Saturday at uh, five p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find us on their 11 a.m. FM stations as well. You can find us on WKLAP.com every Friday at 11 a.m. and every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also find us on Radio Love. That's Radio L-U-V.com. Don't misspell it. You will not find us. And that is on every Saturday night at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're one of those guys that like iHeart, iTunes, or Spotify, we are on there as well. Just search for the AME Radio or the AME Experience. And uh, you'll find us. You can also find us on phoenixbroadcasting.com. You can hear us there and also see the most recent archives. And, of course, all of our archives are on our website under the the particular guest or show. All right, guys. So till next week, keep those creative juices flowing and have a spectacular week. Good night, everybody. That's the
0: end? So We're done. Calm down, people. Calm down. Okay? That's it.